To a very special edition of the Sprinkler Nerd Show. I'm your host, Andy Humphrey, joined by the one and only, the magnificent Paul Bassett, live, well, not live, as close to live as we can get from the island of Oahu, Honolulu, on the way to where we're going today, Paul. We're going to the Hickam Air Force Base, where we're saving a bunch of water by retrofitting out some old antiquated irrigation systems. And I think we should, you should give a little background on the Hickam project and why, why you're here. And then we can see if we have enough time to discuss why, why I'm here with you, but give us some background on the Hickam project. Well, we were lucky to be fortunate to be selected to help the air force base and our client Amoresco save energy and water. They're using based on our analysis initially in this particular project, over a half a billion gallons of water. If you are an irrigation professional, old or new, who designs, installs, or maintains high-end residential, commercial, or municipal properties, and you want to use technology to improve your business, to get a leg up on your competition, even if you're an old-school irrigator from the days of hydraulic systems, this show is for you. Um, specifically on the irrigation system, we, we analyzed them consuming about 300 350 million gallons annually to virtually apply water to the grass around the common areas and the housing units. Is that just outdoor water use or is that indoor and outdoor? Well, the half a billion would have been total. So 350 million approximately annually on the landscape and 150 million uh, on the interior homes and and businesses and facilities. So Envocor though is headquarters in Maryland. How does a company headquarters in Maryland end up securing a project here in Honolulu? Well, fortunately for us, we do work all over the country uh, with regards to the Department of Defense and federal government. And we've been working with this particular client as long as we've been in business, 15, 20 years. So they trust, we're a trusted partner with them. So we're able to secure projects virtually all over the world with this client. And the client's Amoresco? Client on this one is Amoresco, yes, and they're, they're an energy service company. So what we do is we help them when they secure projects, develop and build energy and water conservation projects for them that, that pay for themselves in the reduction of the utility bills. So people oftentimes hear about these projects and hear about opportunities to conserve water and do performance contracting and generate an ROI that has a payback return on the savings, but I don't think a lot of let's say, industry companies and professionals have an opportunity to get involved with them. So maybe you could tell us a little bit more about, you know, about this side of the, of the industry that only a few get to participate in right now. Well, I think luckily for us, we've found a way to 
really parlay irrigation savings into performance contracting. So it's really water savings as a service. And the key to the success that we've had over the years is we deploy and integrate the newest and latest technology to be able to almost in real time watch the water consumption move through the water meters and then report on that information directly to our client. So one of the benefits that we have is that you know, we, we calculate savings based on evapotranspiration and the amount of water being applied to the landscape. But in the real world, you really need the data to prove out the savings that you promise. So in order for our company and my company to be successful, we have to prove year after year that what we calculated in the water savings is real and tangible. Awesome. So let's go back to, in order to figure out what the potential is, let's let's go back to when this project first started. When was that? What year were you first involved? And how do you actually start looking at a project like this for the first time? Well, this project has been going on since 2015. Initially, there's been a lot of back and forth and up and down and contract negotiations and challenges. But what we typically do is we'll get the water bill and the utility bill and we'll analyze you know how much either energy or water is being consumed and we determine from there what either gallons per square foot or gallons per person is being consumed and we'll do a weather analysis and we'll calculate how much water should be consumed by this particular plan and this particular climate and then we look at the utility bill and we say huh we think this site should be using 20 gallons per square foot annually and we see it's using 30 gallons per square foot annually then right away at that point we know that we have an opportunity for savings okay so you do the analysis and then at what point do you actually come on site to do some verification and to look and see if that's actually poor performance with controls, if there's leaks, if it's distribution, when do you come in and do your first analysis? Well, when we do the utility analysis initially and then we determine the viability of the opportunity, meaning we we deem that there is potential for savings by looking at all of the data. And if the data says, yes, we think there's an opportunity, then at that point we all agree that we're gonna engage into a contract and then we're going to deploy folks to be able to come out and, and actually physically do the audits, run through the irrigation systems, count all the sprinklers, try to determine the flow rates, extract the schedules and controls, and then establish from that point what the actual irrigation system or plumbing system or lighting system is consuming in energy and validate that consumption based on the utility bills. Okay, so your team put eyes on every sprinkler on this project? Several times, yes. Wow, okay, so let's talk about the the scale of this project so that the listeners can visualize what what this is. So maybe let's talk about, let's go top down, if you can recall some of the data in terms of how many water sources, how many controllers, how many zones, and potentially how many sprinklers. Well, as I mentioned prior to the um, initial conversation, Andy, we, we initially analyzed that they were using and consuming about half a billion gallons of water through all of the piping network and infrastructure. We then got all the housing unit counts and the peoples and bodies per potties. And we had meter data for all the irrigation. And then once we deemed that, then it was time to get really boots on the ground. And then from that point, we, we really go in and 
identify all the controllers, all the water supplies, all the valves. We put it all on a map, um, inventory everything at that point, and, and then we know exactly what we're going to be getting involved with at that point. Okay, so how many is that? You know, it's one thing to hear a half a billion gallons, but let's flip that over and turn and turn that into number of controllers, number of water sources, sprinkler count. What do those numbers look like? We were just over 200 controllers on the site that were not battery-operated controllers, mm-hmm. just standard plug-in controllers. We have 135, 140, I believe, water connections where the, feeding those 200 and some controllers, and then it was over 30,000 sprinklers that were within the scope of services. Okay, and those sprinklers include pop-up spray heads, three-quarter inch rotors, and one-inch rotors? And some drip. Some drip. You know, not much, but some drip. We are phasing the drip out of the scopes. Okay, well, there's not a lot of project opportunity. Well, maybe there are, but they don't come around every day, a 200 controller retrofit opportunity and 135 water sources. That's some massive scale. And what I didn't realize about this base before visiting is that it's like a village. People live here. You come through the gate. We're about to, right now, show them our D-bid cards to get access to the base. But this is like kind of entering a, a private HOA community that's run by the government. You live here. You work here. Everything happens on the base. And maybe because I didn't grow up in the military, this is all new to me. There's probably a lot of listeners that are like, yeah, 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 we know this. But to me, I guess I thought at first that the base was just military operations. I didn't realize that people lived on the base and that all of this housing and infrastructure is managed. Yeah, I mean, again, I think for us on this particular military base, I mean, there's a bunch of soldiers that live and work on the base and they consume water. They have consume energy. They want their grass to look good, um, just like the rest of us who live in the regular population. Sorry, Andy, we were going through the gate, so I got Yeah, we are. It's okay. We're going through real time, getting our security checked out right now. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, too. And uh, I also, I should have done my homework, but I didn't realize this is a, a joint base or what a joint base even really meant. And so this is, and you can tell me, Paul, this is the Air Force and the Navy. Is that correct? Yeah, the official name of the site is Joint Base Pearl Harbor Hickam. Okay. And we're, we are working on the Hickam side, which is the Air Force side of the military privatized housing. Because this is a very strategic location for the United States and its security for the world here in the Pacific. So they have air and sea operations not really land operations because there's no land here this is all this is in the middle of the pacific ocean so we have the air right and the sea joint on this base yeah and ideally if if you think about how we're working here it's primarily to reduce the amount of energy and water that the federal government spends on this utility so we are helping the taxpayers reduce our debt or demand on the utility spent on this base. Okay. And at this point, uh, let's start back. What, when did you start the actual renovations? Well, once we got the approval to move forward with the construction, we started October of 2022. Okay. So we're 
just about yeah. a year and 11 months in into construction, um, which we're about halfway through the project. Um, it was a two year construction period. So we're about halfway in and, and we're right on, right on schedule with, with the construction time frame. Okay. And I think, you know, let's, let's talk a little bit about, I would love to hear from you. Where, where you, where do you start? So you did the analysis, you know what you need to change. You've got your, you know, marching orders. Where do you start first? Well, we were dictated here by the military and the housing folks on where we wanted to start. And there's some specifics um, that they wanted us to focus on certain areas uh, of the, of the base. And, and as you know, now, Andy, there's multiple neighborhoods that we work in. There's five distinct neighborhoods uh, that we worked in. So we're, we're focusing on a neighborhood at a time. We're going in and completing that specific neighborhood, getting that fully functioning, getting that up hundred percent. And then we can start managing the water and the data. And then once we complete a given neighborhood, then we move on to the next neighborhood. Okay. And do you start with controls and get control of the system and work down to the sprinkler? Or do you start with the sprinkler and work back up to the controls? Well, we have a couple different crews that we have uh, deployed on the base. We have one crew that is focused on controls, number one. Then we have another crew that we have come in that's going to do the flow sensor master valves install. And then the, the final crew, which is the largest of the crews, are the ones that are replacing all the sprinkler heads. So ideally, we, we just depending on how the workflow is, the first crew goes in and starts retrofitting all the controls. That way we reduce or remove all of the standard control systems and then get control with the web-based remote opportunity. And that way it's easier for the managers to control the control system remotely mm-hmm. um, while the guys and gals on the ground are really doing mm-hmm. the, doing the dirty work. And what type of controls do you have here? Did you go with? We, we, um, went with weather track, okay. um, which is, you know, the system that's been proven beneficial for our company and our clients long-term. Mm-hmm. We've been deploying the uh, weather track for over 20 years. And, uh, which partic- which model weather track? The ET pro three. Okay. Um, and then because of there's some complexity of the, the water supplies. We have multiple controllers on a single supply. We have multiple supplies on multiple controllers. So using their OptiFlow system really helps integrate and manage the water on some of these complex okay, systems. Okay, at, at this point, as of today, September 15th, how many controllers have you retrofitted and installed? Last I looked, we're about 125. So just over halfway, the halfway point of the controls. Okay, and are of all those 125, do they all have flow sensors and master valves? Today they don't because we're, with the complexity of the digging permits and some of the other things, I think we have about 30 to 35 of the flow sensors installed at this point. Um, and then now we just got approval recently to go ahead and start excavating in some of the other areas to start putting in the flow sensors and master valves. It's just a little more complex with digging and excavating here on a military base, there's a complexity with regards to the, the permits that are required to dig on the site. Okay. So you've got, uh, I think you said maybe 35 flow sensors. How, who watches those or looks at those and do you have to report on those or what do you do with that data? Yeah, we have team members that their responsibility is to go ahead and analyze the data every day, take a look at all the reporting, take a look at all of the flow. Um, and then if there's a, if there's an anomaly or an alert condition and 
then we dispatch the folks on the ground to go ahead and analyze and determine what the problem is. Okay. And as of today, 11 months in, what, what's been the most difficult part of the project so far? What we've seen is the transition between our services and the existing maintenance services, like who's responsible for what. Uh, a lot of times they just wanted to go ahead and push everything onto us. And the communication between our team and the existing facilities maintenance team um, has been the biggest challenge, trying to let them understand that they're still responsible for the neighborhoods that they have been working in and we're responsible for the neighborhoods we're working in. So trying to get all of the parties together to make sure we're all working as one has been the biggest challenge. Okay. So let's, uh, I think let's maybe not bring this to a total close, but let's move to you know, what we've been working on this week without, you know, exact details, uh, you know, but maybe we should just talk a little bit about the, the concept of these very difficult, hard to manage areas that were part of this project that fall outside the standard scope of replacing a controller and, you know, requiring some, some different type of technology that, you know, we look forward to sharing with the listeners at some point here in the future. And, and this is not a, a testing ground, but this is a unique application that we're able to deploy some very innovative technology to solve particular problems that traditional industry isn't able to solve. Yeah, well, good, good insight, Andy. One of the things that we found on this particular facility is that there's a lot of medians that are going through the neighborhoods. Um, and they're running and operating on a battery timer controller. So there's no remote activation, no remote monitoring. So what we're doing is we're, we're in the midst of deploying some smart valves. What is a smart valve? Well, a smart valve has more than just one activation. So it has flow sensing and master control and pressure and soil moisture. So what we're able to do is take away that old school just running whatever that time battery controller was and being able to provide remote access into that insight and be able to actuate that valve and monitor that flow remotely right valve to the cloud where there is no infrastructure there's no wires there's no control we just have one valve in a median we can now take that information put it right to the cloud manage it remotely and have all of the data and that's really what has been uh, extremely fun and rewarding to be able to deploy some of this new technology into a place where they're just been using traditional controls. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when it is just a single battery operated controller that is not connected to anything, it runs a schedule, right? It does that schedule every Monday, Wednesday, Friday at a particular time. And that's part of the water waste issue is there was no... Um, smarter automation just ran like a like a clock yeah and the, the problem with that is, is because of the site's so big and it's hard to manage that these things the batteries die and now that area is brown and nobody understands why or the they never adjust the clock from the summer rotation so it was running seven days a week and then in the winter time it's still running seven days a week because nobody really sees it so there was really a lack of insight and management of those particular devices. Yeah, and there is, outside of this project, there is a really big market opportunity for this technology. And man, I cannot wait to uh, share this with the world when we're ready, perhaps at the IA show. For those of you listening, if you would like to join us at the IA show, we may be ready to share a little bit more about 
what we've been what we've been working on and what Paul's deployed here at Hickam. Super exciting. Well, Andy, I know we are going to wrap this up because we got another half a day here to finish up this project. So, and you're going to get dirty, right? I'm going to sit here in the car and edit up this podcast, right? You're going to you're going to get get dirty today. <laughs> I, I suppose, but not much editing, luckily, for this one today, Andy. <laughs> yeah, this might be one of the podcasts that is totally in the raw. Not much editing. So I hope our mics work. Paul's got a mic on. I've got a mic on. Again, technology, dual wireless mics just piped into my iPhone right here. So we got to the site. We're ready to finish up our last day. Thank you guys for listening. Keep your eyes open. There are projects like this that are out there. And large or small, there's plenty of projects like this. If you keep your eyes open, you will find them. Any uh, last words of advice, Paul, for someone looking to maybe you know, not get out of just installing sprinklers, but expand their business into more of this conservation performance contracting. I mean, my thoughts to that is just keep your eyes wide open, be willing and open to change and test and fail and then succeed after you fail. That's what I've learned. And there's a lot of times with when you're dealing with technology that it doesn't work right out of the box. It's new, it's innovative, it's testing, it's trying. So and that's really what we're doing and what I've done over my career is um, you test and you fail and you proceed on and then eventually you're going to get to a point where you're going to find success. Because mm-hmm. if it were easy, anyone would do it. This is the truth. <laughs> awesome. Appreciate your time, Paul. Good week with you. Thank you so much and appreciate everybody listening. Mahalo. Mahalo. Mahalo.